If you've got your Bibles, open to Romans 12. We'll read a brief text here, Romans 12, and then spend some minutes unpacking one of the meaty things that Paul tells us. Romans chapter 12. This, of course, comes in after 11 chapters of some of Paul's most meaty explanation of the good news of Christ. He's taken us through, by this time in the letter, the whole reality of universal sin, what God has done about it in terms of sending Christ, breaking the power of sin, enabling us through the Holy Spirit. Then he's taken us through all those challenging and fascinating chapters, 9 to 11, about God's great strategic plan for Israel and the nations leading up to the end times. But then in this, the final three chapter, three or four chapters of the book, beginning in 12, he's bringing everything into land of saying, okay, now, what kind of difference should this great global, international, eternal gospel make in the way we live? And here's what he says. This is this the beginning of four chapters about bringing it into land. And he says this, 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies, note that, plural mercies, I like that, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Notice he uses Old Testament language, holy, acceptable to God. We become an offering on an altar. Then verse 2, this is where he brings it into land in a very practical way. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, and that's what we've been talking about in these Monday evening meetings with the men of the church called conquerors. That's all about transformation. But be transformed, says Paul. Well, great, Paul. I like the idea of getting transformed What's the first step in that, Paul? Well, he's got an answer. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. You'll recognize what God's will is. And you'll, because you're being transformed and renewing your mind, you'll see God's will. And instead of recoiling away from it, which we do when we're still in the world... Now God's done something in us so that we see God's will and we test it and we recognize that it's good. That's what I want. I want that in my life, the will of God. It's good, acceptable, and perfect. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you for the hope that you give us in Christ. We pray you to help us to implement these wonderful truths through the enabling of your spirit. Amen. Paul speaks here about the renewing of our minds, and we're going to look at that now. Greg, if you could come up here, I'm going to need uh, some assistance. So Greg has been chosen by the elders of this church to help me with this message this morning. And Greg is going to be modeling for us two different hats. Paul has just spoken in Romans 12 about two ways of thinking, the world's way of thinking the old way of thinking, and we're going to use this prophetic image of an old battered hat 
to represent that old way of thinking that gets us in trouble. But then we've got another hat here representing the renewed mind. It looks suspiciously like a crown that God wants to give every single one of us. So, Greg, if you can just get ready and start as I instruct you to swap hats at the appropriate moment. So, no offense, brother, but could you start off with the old hat? If you could pop that on your head. The old hat, of course, we all know all about because some of us have been wearing the old hat for a good bit of our lives. The old hat is that former distorted way of thinking. And we want to run down a list. By the way, if you got, you should have one of these in your bulletins this morning. So pull this little sheet out and it gives examples of the, the old hat and praise the Lord, the new one. And you should have both. So, first example in these little sheets of the old hat. The old hat, if I'm wearing that, is going to make me ask a question like this. How can I arrange my world to make me feel safe? Now, many of us will look at that and say, gee, I kind of like that idea because I like to feel safe and secure. Well, God wants us to feel safe and secure, but he's got another way to get us there. And it's not the way we would often do. Some years ago, when, we, when the church was running the King's Commission, it was an internship program we ran back in the, the late uh, the 90s and the early O's. I think we ran it for 10 years. And we did a mission trip each year, as we do now with the successor to King's Commission, Ironwood. And one year we were running a, a mission trip to the same year at the same time to two separate countries. We had one team that was going to be going off to Guatemala and another team was going to simultaneously be going off to India. But we in the leadership of King's Commission then, we didn't tell which student which country they were going to go to. We said, you've got to go talk to the Lord of the mission field and find out which of these two countries, Guatemala or India, he is sending you. It was just for one month. We said, you go pray. A few nights after we gave them that admonition, Velma and I are at home. The phone rings, and it's one of the students. Velma picks it up. It's one of the students, and she says, I'm praying about this thing of which team the Lord or which country the Lord is sending me to. So Velma says, yeah, that's great. Has the Lord told you yet? And the girl said, well, not really, but I do want to know something. Can you tell me, Guatemala or India, which one of those countries has fewer spiders. So you could sort of tell what her criterion was of how she was going to make her decision. Probably some of you might identify with that criterion if you don't like spiders. That's called keeping yourself safe, and I've done it. We've all done it. How can I arrange my world to make me feel safe? Folks, that is old hat thinking, the old battered hat. Well, Greg, now, if I had a drum roll, I'd have it already here for him putting on the new hat, the crown hat. Here is new hat thinking. How can I be part of God arranging, not me arranging? How can I be part of God arranging his world, because it isn't my world, to make Christ preeminent? Do you know that is God's eternal passion? That's the Father's eternal purpose and passion in his world is that he would make Christ preeminent. 
When Jesus is born, God arranges dignitaries from the nations to come, to bow down in front of newborn Jesus and worship him. That's a picture of the end of the age because the scriptures tell us numbers of places that at the end all the nations will be bowing in front of Christ. And the Magi were a prophetic picture in advance of that. He did it then and he's going to do it again at the end of the age. And right this moment in heaven there are countless glorified saints along with bazillions of angels all doing the same thing. Worshipping Christ because he is. He's seated on the right hand of God. He is preeminent. And he's becoming preeminent in the earth and in the lives of people all over the world as the gospel goes all over the world. It's all about him being preeminent. I get put out at the periphery and he's at the center. That's the gospel. That's God's priority. And the new hat question will be not how can I feel safe. It's how can I be a part of God's eternal plan to make his son first in all things. What kind of role, even if it's small, can I have in that? Maybe doing a shoebox for this Christmas. We have no idea what the knock-on effect of that could actually be in God's eternal purpose. But we want to be a part of it. That's the new hat question. Greg, you're doing a good job. If you could put the other hat on now. Another example of the old hat is poor me. Did you know that there's such a thing as male PMS? Poor me syndrome. That's how men think, in case you didn't know. Poor me, poor me syndrome. Some years ago, this is probably decades ago now, Velma and I, were, we were just waking up early in the morning, and she starts laughing. I rolled over and I said, what could be funny at 6 a.m.? She said, you were talking in your sleep last night. I thought, oh, and uh, what did I say? Was it something prophetic and really spiritual? She said, no, you woke up around 3.30 or spoke out around 3.30 and all you said was, poor, poor me. <laughs> I think she felt this was expressive of my whole character. <laughs> poor me. You know what? That is this hat. And it's not just husbands either. We all have that root in us of self-pity, of thinking everything is going against me. It's a way of thinking. Well, praise Lord, Greg, if we can have you in the other hat. By the renewing of our mind through the Holy Spirit, he will change the way we think. And here's a good example of new hat thinking. Paul gives it to us in the first chapter of Colossians. And I'm just cutting in in the middle of a verse. It says, endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks. Endurance. You keep rowing, even against the current, even against the wind. You keep rowing like the disciples in that boat. Remember when Jesus came and met them on the sea, but they had to row a long way before he got there. Endurance, patience with joy, not with self-pity. Giving thanks. This past summer, Pastor Ron was working with some of us and encouraged us to, to find daily ways to be thankful, to have thankful hearts. And he said, do you have little journals, notebooks? Most of us did. And he said, well, here's a good exercise to learn. Each morning when you get up, 
sit down and write out a list in your journal of things you're grateful to God for that have happened in the last 24 hours. Now, if I've got this hat jammed down over my head, I'm not going to have things I'm grateful for because I won't see them. I'll be too wrapped up in my gumbo inside. I won't look out of myself to be thankful to God. I'll only do that if I'm doing what Greg is doing, wearing the new hat. And that verse in Colossians is a great place to go. Endurance. Just think of these character traits. Paul is encouraging us into endurance. Patience with joy. Giving thanks. Giving thanks. I want to really commend that little exercise. Do it tomorrow morning. Think of something that you're grateful for, some things you're grateful for just within the past 24 hours. It is therapeutic. I speak from experience. That's the new hat. Okay, Greg, old hat once more. Old hat way of thinking number three. Goliath is too big. If you don't have a Goliath right now in your life, at the end of the meeting, come up and talk to me. You can borrow one of mine, okay? Because most of us, most of the time, have got a Goliath or more than one. When King Saul in Israel saw Goliath, the Bible says he was filled with dismay. Do you know how many people in all of Scripture, the Scripture tells us how tall they were? Two. One was King Saul himself. We're told he was a head taller than any other man in Israel. So he he must have been a very imposing man. He was physically physically tall, a man of stature. Well, then there's the other person uh, who the Bible describes their height. There's only one other person, and that was Goliath. He was nine feet tall. First time in Saul's life, he'd run into somebody bigger than he was His reaction, he was filled with dismay. And he wouldn't go and face this warrior from the Philistines. Well, praise God, God provided someone else who was wearing the new hat, Greg. If we can put on the new hat. We all know who this was. Of course, this was the hitherto unknown shepherd boy from this hick town nowheresville place called Bethlehem. And he knew this. David is an example here to us of new hat thinking. The renewing of the mind. We see it in David a thousand years before Christ even came to earth. David is saying, Goliath is big, but God is bigger. Goliath is big, of course, but God is bigger. Saul says to David, you sure you know what you're getting yourself into doing this? This warrior is big and he's experienced. And David's answer was this. Truer words were never spoken. He just said to the king, the battle is the Lord's. Those are true words, you know. If you're in the middle of a battle, if you've got a Goliath, call yourself up by reminding yourself of that. The battle is the Lord's. Goliath is big. No one's denying that. But God is bigger. Apply those, those words to your Goliath. Take this thing, and I call this a fridge magnet without the magnet, because you've got to supply your own magnet, okay? Put it on the front of your refrigerator, and come to these things during the week, and renew your mind. Goliath is big, but God is bigger. 
Number four, Greg, if we could have the old hat for a moment. I keep hearing his voice making fun of me. I'm drawing this out of these meetings we've been having and the videos we've been listening to in the Conqueror's class, which has been hugely helpful for many of us, and not just helpful for men that struggle with pornography. It's just men that struggle. And a lot of us, we're finding out in the meetings and in small groups and sharing back and forth, a lot of us have got some wounds inflicted on us by our families, by our parents, by our dads. And one guy it referred to in the videos said something like, I keep hearing, he's talking about his father, and he says, I keep hearing his voice making fun of me. And there was some example like he had tried to change the oil on the car, he had never done it before, he thought he was being helpful, thought he was being like doing what kind of stuff that dads want their boys to do, and he didn't do it right. And the father got mad, and he made fun of the boy in front of all his friends. And that memory, just to this day as an adult, it, it echoed in his mind. I keep hearing his voice making fun of me. That is a debilitating thing. Well, you know what? God has an answer. Okay, great. Other hat. Another voice. And it's spoken in the Bible at the Jordan River. Where a voice comes out of, the, out of heaven saying, this is my son whom I love and whom I am well pleased. We'll get to the text on the sheets there from Psalm 147. Get to that in a moment. But think of the voice of God speaking over the son of God before the son of God has done a single miracle. Before he has preached a single sermon. Before he has done anything, performed in any way, God affirms him. This is my son whom I love in whom I am well pleased. Now part that thought in your mind about God speaking in this unconditional affirmative way about Jesus. Keep that thought in your mind and then make room in another part of your mind for Romans chapter 8 where Paul says, we through Christ, through faith in him and being joined to him, we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That means whatever God has bequeathed and committed to his son, we share in it because we're co-heirs. Okay, now, back to the Jordan River. This is my son whom I love and whom I am well pleased, a commendation that comes before any kind of success. It's just there because of Jesus' identity, and it's there for us because of our identity, because God says we are co-heirs alongside Jesus. That is the opposite of the critical fault-finding voice of a critical dad who makes fun of you when you don't do the oil change the right way in front of your friends. And that's the healing for that kind of injuring, wounding thing. So, Psalm 147, verse 3, a good verse to meditate on and to nurture your emotions on. God heals the brokenhearted. There's few more precious verses to me in all of Scripture. Part of the way God renews our minds is that he heals our minds. And Part of the way he gives us healing and heals our broken hearts 
is by assuring us, just like he assured Jesus, of his unconditional affirmation at the start of the journey, not way at the end when you have succeeded, if you do. It's, a, it's an affirmation and a commendation and a confidence impartation that's based on who God is and who we are through Christ. Become an heir this morning. You know what? If you don't know the Lord, I want to commend to you those precious truths in Romans. Romans chapter 8. Heirs of God and co-heirs, fellow heirs with Christ. What more amazing inheritance can we ever have than to share alongside Christ in his inheritance? And that inheritance and the hope of that can be yours today if it's not already. We'll come back to that at the end of the meeting. God heals the brokenhearted. We know he heals the brokenhearted when we're wearing the new hat. Wear the new hat. Okay, Greg, another old hat example. I'm hard done by. Hard done by. It seems like I always get the short end of the stick. Again, from my personal experience, when I was a little boy growing up in the States down near Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I didn't get past kindergarten or grade one before I started to realize my family was different. Father was alcoholic, marriages on the rocks. It was not a good scene. And questions started to get into my mind, even as a grade school kid. When I'm over at friends' houses, the parents and the kids are laughing. We don't get laughter at my house. What's wrong? And why am I in this family? You know what? I'm still, even now to this day, finding out that. And the answer is this. I'm, I was there for a reason. I was there for a reason. I'm hard done by. That makes us feel sorry for ourselves. This is the poor, poor me thing again. Okay, Greg, if you can put on the new hat, we'll see what the the new hat looks like. The classic example in all of the Bible of seeing that we're somebody seeing that he's there for a reason, he's there on assignment, is Joseph. Old Testament Joseph, not Jesus' earthly father Joseph. Old Testament Joseph, all the way back in Genesis. He suffered terrible rejection by his brothers. He was lied about by his employer's wife about alleged immorality. He spent years in an Egyptian dungeon despite being innocent. But somewhere along the line as he fellowshiped with his great-grandfather's God, Do you know who Joseph's great-grandfather was? He was fairly famous in the Bible. Joseph's great-grandfather was Abraham, the father of the covenant. And as Joseph in that dungeon learned to fellowship with Abraham's God, something began to dawn on him. It was this, because he would have known, he would have been trained in believing the promises to his great-grandfather Abraham that through that family line, God was going to bless all the nations of the earth. And it starts to dawn on Joseph. We can infer this from the story. It starts to dawn on Joseph, hey, I'm part of that promise. God's got me here for a reason. I'm here on assignment. And you know what happens? He ends up saving countless thousands of Egyptians, people that worshipped Egyptian gods, 
God through Joseph, Abraham's God through Joseph, saves those many thousands of people from starvation. Why did he do that? Because he told Father Abraham that he would, through that family line, bless all the nations of the earth. And now even before you get to the end of the book of Genesis, that promise is coming dramatically true. It began to dawn on me a few years after I became a Christian. I became a Christian when I was 17. It started to become clear, and it, many years later, I'm still saying, what's this meant to look like? I was in that family for a reason. I was there, I am there, on assignment, and so are you. I forget which psalm this is, I'll have to look it up, but one of the psalms says, I think it's Psalm 139, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Think of that statement for a moment. That implies that God chose the womb. Put that in your theological pipe and smoke it. He chose the mother. He chose the family. And God doesn't make mistakes. So maybe you, the family you grew up in, maybe it was not an easy ride at many points. Well, fair enough. Many of us know what that's like. And you can tell Joseph, because of the way the brothers treated him, he probably wondered, what am I doing in this family? Well, he was there for a reason. God doesn't goof. God's got a purpose for your life, and we need to start taking off the old self-pity hat and saying, okay, Lord, enough of this. I'm here for a reason, but I need to find out what it is. Help me to find out what it is and to embrace it. I'm here on assignment. Maybe for someone here this morning, this is going to be particularly relevant. Okay, moving on. Greg, old hat once more. I've got the weight of the world on my shoulders. A number of years ago, some of us were praying for a married couple here in the church. They had asked if they could come and spend a morning with the elders and get prayer. Prayer. And we sort of probed a little bit, okay, it sounds like you're struggling, what's going on? And it largely resolved, revolved around some tensions and emotional heaviness on the part of the wife. The root of the thing wasn't really in the marriage between them, it was in her background. And she herself had grown up in a fairly mixed up family, I'm talking a lot of this morning about mixed up families, and the pattern that she had grown up under was this. The mom, her, her mother, would rely on her to get the family to work, to get through the crisis every evening of supper, to deal with tensions between her and her husband. No matter what it was, what it was the mom kept coming back to the daughter and emotionally le- leeching on her and saying, you've got, you've got to help me, you've got to help me, what am I going to do? So this girl grew up, now she was a woman. And she always felt like she was responsible for make, making the family succeed. And what she said when she came to us is what I've got on this sheet here. I've got the weight of the world on my shoulders. You can't blame her. Because her background taught her that she had the weight of the world on her shoulders. And it all depended on her. Okay, at long last, after that, after that depressing, depressing story... Greg, could you put on the other, the other hat, the, the crown, the hat that looks like a crown? Oh my goodness, don't drop it. <laughs> Wonderful. The government, according to Isaiah, the government will be on his shoulder. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. 
whatever weight you feel like you're lugging around this morning, well, we've got good news for you. When we put on the new hat, we start to realize, hey, God is not asking me to carry that around. Twice in the Bible, we get that great phrase, cast your burden on the Lord. Psalm 55, and then again in 1 Peter chapter 5, and 1 Peter chapter 5 is quoting Psalm 55. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. Christ, you know, has strong shoulders. Strong shoulders. I remember learning once, it was in biology class or somewhere, that the the strongest part of the human body is the shoulders. And you can lift a, a heavier weight with your shoulders than you can with your forearms or hands or whatever, because... There's a strength that God engineered into the shoulders. And Isaiah tells us the government will be on the shoulders of the Son of God. So whatever it is you need to offload this morning, you can cast it on Christ and he can carry it. He's not going to go, oh no, I can't manage that one. No, he's got strong shoulders. Let's be new hat people this week. And say, I'm not lugging around something that God has not assigned to me. I'm going to cast it on the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay, Greg, old hat once more. Because of my sin, I'm a write-off. You all know what a write-off is, don't you? When a car gets smashed up, AutoPack takes a look at it and they say, sorry, that thing is beyond redemption. We had a very nice car once <laughs> in the middle of this, it was in summer and we had left it parked on the street. We usually put it in the garage for some reason that night. I put it, we left it on the street. There was a big storm, a huge branch came down out of a tree, hit the top of the car and it was totaled right off. When we think we are a write off, we think, well, I've got no future. I've got no future. I can't be redeemed. I'm beyond repair. So I guess that means I've got no future. I don't doubt there are people here this morning that feel that in some measure. You've got no future. You're a write-off. Okay, Greg, the other hat now. Praise the Lord. The new hat says something very different. It doesn't see itself as a write-off. It says this, because of my sin, I'm a write-off, but because of Christ, I have a future. Now, here's where I get this. There are three places in the Gospels, or maybe more than that, but I can think of three, where Jesus declares someone's sins forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. There's the woman, the immoral woman that comes to him and washes his feet. He says it over her. The man they lower through the roof of the house who's paralyzed and then the woman caught in adultery. In all three cases, he declares sovereign forgiveness from the Son of God who represents God the Father. Your sins are forgiven. But in all three cases, he says something else on the back of that. He declares their sins cleansed, but he says something else as well. So let's start with the first one. It's the woman in Luke 7, immoral life, 
She comes to Jesus weeping at his feet. She bathes his feet with her tears, wipes them dry with her hair. And he, because he, he can tell what's going on in her heart. She's messed up her life. She knows it. But someone has told her about him that he puts people's lives back together, that he brings forgiveness. He does redeem. There's nobody beyond redemption with Jesus. He says to her, your sins are forgiven. And then he says this in the very next verse, go in peace. In a Hebrew culture, that's an amazing statement that says, go, go with God. Go as a whole person, discovering wholeness more each day. Go in shalom Go in peace. You know what he's doing? He's taking something away and he's giving something else to take its place. He takes away her guilt and he gives her back the future. Let that percolate through your brain. He takes away her sin and her guilt and he gives her back the future. Go in peace. Ditto with the man that, whose friends lower him through the roof of the house. Your sins are forgiven. Rise and walk. He takes away his sin. He gives him back his future. The woman caught in adultery. Go and sin no more. You know, when he says go and sin no more, the word go there does not mean get out of here. I don't like you. It means go your way. Start living again. Don't sin anymore. You've had enough of that. Go and sin no more. Three cases out of three, he takes away their sin and he gives them back their future. Some of you this morning, maybe you need to lay hold of that wonderful promise. Because of Christ, I have a future. What a hope. Final example this morning of the two hats. Okay, great. Some old hat thinking from that supremely practical book of the Bible called Proverbs It talks about the guy that's always making excuses of why he doesn't want to get up and go to work in the morning, doesn't want to go out and face the challenges of life. And he's got an excuse mechanism that always seems to work. He says, I can't go out. There's a lion in the road. And that's his excuse for getting out of whatever he doesn't feel like doing. Maybe there's fear in that, whatever. There's a lion in the road. Well, praise the Lord. There's a new hat way of thinking we can use to take the place of that. It's about someone that goes out looking for a lion. In the last chapter or two chapters of 2 Samuel, there's a series of stories about people there, David, King David's mighty men, his mighty men. They were great warriors. They did amazing exploits on the field of battle. And one of them, his name is Benaiah. And here, I'm going to read you the grand total of everything we know in the whole Bible about Benaiah. Here's all the the Bible says, but it's very significant when we ponder it. Benaiah went down into a pit. Interesting place to go. Benaiah went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. You see, compare that to the fellow that's described in Proverbs 26 that uses a lion, a real lion or imaginary one as an excuse to not go out of his house. This guy went out of his house saying, where where is there a lion I can kill? And he finds out there's one in a pit. He's not afraid to go down in the pit. And it's a pit full of snow. He's not afraid to go down into the snow. And there's a lion there, which is a man-eater. And he goes down into the pit in the snow and kills the lion. Ladies and gentlemen, I can guarantee that that day, Benaiah was wearing the new hat. Not afraid of the pit. 
not afraid of the snow, and not afraid of the lion. The supreme example of old hat thinking, if you, you have it on your sheets in the, 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 the very bottom rectangles there, this hat is about my gloom, me and my self pity, me and my negativism, me and my pessimism. This hat that Greg's wearing, and I hope we're all wearing this morning, I'll take this thing off, is about God's glory. I serve a God who is faithful. That's what we were singing about this morning. Such a wonderful, refreshing truth to be remembered of. This hat reminds us of who God is. This morning, can we join with God in having him renew our minds by laying hold of these promises, wearing the new hat and having our minds renewed. Amen.